We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. My guest today is Candace Smith, co-founder and CEO of Caregiven. She founded Caregiven after her experience caring for her father during his end of life. Her experience was similar to mine while I was a caregiver for my late wife, Jane. Her vision is to get caregiving away from the transactional communications that dominate the end of life to a more meaningful experience. I first met Candace at a Founders Network retreat, and we bonded over our shared experience with grief and loss. This conversation is going to go deep into grief, loss, caring for a sick loved one, and a lot of points in between. We also talk about the challenges of being a non-technical founder, being a first-time for-profit founder, and how talking about end of life is tough for a lot of people. She also talks about her experience being isolated in a hotel on self-quarantine for COVID-19 before she could fly back to her home to be with her family. Before we jump in, if you're troubled by a conversation about loss and grief, then you may want to skip this one. I know that for some, it's hard to talk about these sort of things, and I can respect the fact that everyone is on their own journey. I would encourage you to listen, even if you're a bit uncomfortable. Because by talking about loss and grief, we can get better at dealing with it. Now, let's get better together. Candace Smith, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. So uh, you were actually in, is it Des Moines, Iowa? For the last couple of, last couple of uh, weeks, right? 
months, actually. I, I started in uh, the middle of January as part of uh, the Global Insurance Accelerator. And the program runs officially until the end of April. Um, and I have a family. So I was bouncing back and forth uh, until a few weeks ago when I got stuck in Des Moines, which is not a bad place to get stuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you were in Des Moines? Sure. So, um, as you said, I'm Candace Smith. I'm from Portland, Oregon, and I have a company called Caregiven, which I started after um, being a caregiver for my father during his end of life, which I found to be, you know, uh, one of the most honored and, and privileged experiences and roles to play. But it's also for an individual, one of the most isolating and overwhelming experiences we all go through. Um, and I think it's compounded by the fact that there is very little technology to normalize the experience, to create community around the experience, um, and to help people through this journey. So I decided to do something about it. And that was really how my company began. I started out trying to solve some very specific pain points. And it brought me ultimately to have a product that was um, recognized by several insurance companies as solving um, a problem that they are foreseeing in that they don't have a great way to communicate with their policyholders in a meaningful way beyond transactional. And so that led me to be invited to participate in this accelerator, which was in Des Moines. And, um, and so that's how I got there in 30 seconds versus the two-year journey that it actually took. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really cool that, uh, that you're trying to do this because I know we first met at uh, Founders Network at the, uh, I think it was the Founders Summit just this uh -huh. past, well, this past fall. And uh, I think one yeah. of the things that really, well, one of the things that we connected over was grief and loss. Um, and uh, I think the way you told your story was a really important thing and kind of just showed me, or at least I was impressed by how really challenging the grief space is and the caregiving space, where the care space, excuse me, mm -hmm. and how really as a society, we do a really poor job of helping caregivers. Mm -hmm. And so what part of that experience was sort of the impetus for caregiving? The fact that, uh, and it could just be a Gen X thing, but we, we want to rise to the occasion and do the right thing at the right time. And nobody was telling me what to do when. Uh, they would tell me what I should do and tell me what not to do. But nobody would say, you know, at this moment in time, here's what you can do that's most impactful and meaningful. Again, not practical and checklist, and but what is going to help you get at the heart of the matter so that you can help your father or your loved one achieve the final experience that they want to have in their life. Uh, nobody gave me the words uh, to say, you know, this is a difficult conversation. Uh, don't avoid it, do it. Um, and, and really that's what was the impetus for this is I feel as if people need to know it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to feel 
all of the range of feelings that you feel about it and to share them and not think they're a burden to other people to be sharing them. Uh, and that we all need to know that this experience is normal. We will all go through it um, and that we can learn collectively from everybody's journey. Right now, that doesn't happen. It's We're all afraid of death from the very beginning. So let's not talk about it. Let's avoid it. Let's fear it. And therefore, we have a system now where we are prolonging life beyond it, it being necessary in a lot of cases because we're so afraid of what happens after. We don't talk to people about what is truly important to them. So therefore, you don't know how to deliver that to them when it matters. Um, and I, I guess, you know, for me, I've never been one to go through a painful experience and learn from it and then do nothing with it. It's like, nope, I got to do something with this. Uh, and, and it really began with my husband. He said, you know, you're so angry and upset about this. Why don't you do something about it? And he thought I was going to write a blog and get it out. And really, I could have gone down that path. But what I learned quickly when I started talking about it is a lot of people feel this way. And there is a synergy and a collective energy and a desire at this point in time to use technology to help us be more human. And when is it most important to be more human is when someone you love needs you to rise to the occasion and, and go beyond. Did you take your medicine? You know, yeah. how are you doing today? Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, so true. So true. I mean, the, you know, when we talked about it at Founders Summit, you know, in, in my experience with losing my wife, Jane, and how incredibly isolating and lonely, and I would say frustrating the process was. And and I had a lot of support, a lot of family, a lot of friends, a lot of, you know, PhD, MD, you know, alphabet soup after lots of family members' names. So the mechanics, the latest research and all that sort of stuff, what she was going through was leukemia, um, was all there. Uh, the thing that I always struggled with, and I still do to this day, is, is talking about the feelings around that kind of hopelessness and chaos that you find yourself in. And that's that's why it was just really resonated me with what you're doing. And I think the just attitudes about that difficult conversations to have. And I think a lot of people are starting to have that now, you know, because of what's going on in the world with the COVID-19 and this pandemic that there's not a person on the planet that is not touched by. And, you know, we're going to have to handle some of these things. And um, one of the things that I found out about is this, uh, this term called uh, memento more. Have you heard of it? Maybe <laughs> it's a stoic term. Okay. And uh, and it roughly translates to uh, someday you're going to die. Oh no! So no, I'm thinking. I, well, okay. No, you just taught me something. <laughs> I mean, not that someday you're going to die. I know that. Yeah, but well, the the, the stoic philosophy of someday you're going to die, or we all die at some point. Uh -huh. uh, r really, what it does is it recognizes that you know, you can't escape death. So you need to be able to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing that I think when I went through my experience and I still go through is the realization that we do need to talk about this life process. 
uh, especially when we know that it may not, you know, if we're giving care to someone and, and, you know, people are going to be giving care, you know, right now more than they probably expected to, that the conversations about these things are super important to have. Um, and, you know, you, you chose to build an, an app and a company. Uh, I chose to write a memoir and to a certain degree do this podcast to sort of talk about at least the traits, the values, the beliefs, and the skill set that I think uh, from my entrepreneur training helped me through it. So can can you talk a little bit about your entrepreneur journey? Uh, because if I'm not mistaken, this this is your first startup or... Yeah. Well, I say, obviously, for the venture capitalist, that this is my first startup in the for-profit space. Ah, okay. So my first career was uh, in fundraising and building communities for nonprofits. And I have several successful startups initiatives that are still ongoing in, in that sector. Uh, but in the for-profit space, this is my first. And um, and I thought long and hard about um, caregiving, actually, should it be a nonprofit? And ultimately, um, and you and I have talked, my whole journey as an entrepreneur has been one of self-doubt. Uh, mm-hmm. So I validate that. Well, I, I can. I I compensate for the self-doubt by reaching out to caregivers and others to sort of validate um, how they would do something, how they would like something seen. So a lot of UX has gone into my experience and and the whole idea that uh, if something is given to you, uh, you don't appreciate it as much as if you pay for something. It's that that whole idea of currency means value. Um, and so that's why caregiving is in the f- for-profit space, um, because we knew in order for people to value it and therefore use it or offer it to their employees or their clients and their customers, there had to be that transaction. Um, so that was uh, that's very scary. I've never worked for the man per se. You know, I've always worked uh, in an altruistic world as a fundraiser, meeting with individuals who were generous and they had a vision um, and working for institutions and organizations that could bring that vision to life. So now I'm navigating all of this and it's entirely different vernacular. I mean, uh, as a entrepreneur, you have to learn tactics and execution and, and all of these military terms. And that's not in academia where I came from, where, you know, it, there's a lot of consensus building. So, uh, I, I think that the smartest thing that I've done is, uh, really go back to the why, mm. uh, and, and, the values of my company, what we're trying to accomplish. And then everything has been a stepping stone on top of that, right? So even right. the whole idea of coming down to what is your minimal viable product, MVP? Well, I had said early on that any feature in caregiving has to solve at least three of the top five pain points that caregivers experience in some way, shape, or form. Well, when you start looking at features, you know, this one does three, four, five, they hits all these don't, okay, that'll be in version two. So, um, you know, being very thoughtful and, and in tune and aligned with 
the pain you're trying to solve. That has really guided me on this journey. It's also been one of the biggest stumbling blocks, right? As yeah. you and I know, I, I founded this to solve a consumer or a person's pain. Right, right. My pain, somebody else's pain. My pain. Uh, <laughs> I wish exactly. I would have had it. All of our pain. Was, uh, exactly. Going through my um, experience. And then again, working with um, doing surveys and talking to caregivers, I learned that they wouldn't know to go searching for a solution like this because it's not, you know, if it was you're getting married, you would definitely go for a wedding app. Oh, but you're a caregiver. There is no sort of common sense that there's support system for that. Um, but what people do do is they turn to their trusted advisors, those people that you were listing um, with all of the alphabets after their name and the esteemed lawyer and doctor and all of those people. And um, and so Caregiven did a slight pivot in that our business model changed. We knew that we, in order to get Caregiven into the hands of the people who needed it at the right moment in time, we needed to work through these businesses who were having those people come to them in pain and they didn't have a solution. So that, that was a very traumatic um, founder journey for me (laughs) because um, I was no longer helping the people I wanted to help specifically. Right, right, right. I was talking ROI and, you know, if, if you do this, then your employees aren't going to be, sick as much. And and that just felt wrong for so long. But when you go back to your why, the goal isn't necessarily how you help people. If, well, I mean, it is with ethics and values, but it's making sure that you're still helping them. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a great, uh, great way to put it. I mean, it is, it is fascinating that, uh, you know, you coming from a nonprofit sector, trying to then start a for-profit company and the zigs and zags and the pivots and I mean, and the the pivots to come, (laughs) as you know, we've talked about that as well. Like, well, you never know what you're going to build and until you build it and things start to happen. Right. So, I mean, Anna, are there, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, the learning curve for you and the, the kind of the daily, I mean, there's a lot, like, I mean, you're coming freaking curve it's like <laughs> a steep mountain and then you climb your way up and you're like oh and then you realize that you're just on a little tiny plateau and then you look up again so there is no learning curve i mean i haven't it hasn't curved out at all it's been up 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 <laughs> so how do you manage that like on a daily basis i mean what's the what's your day like how do you how do you handle that uh well so how do I handle it? I, I, um, pregnant pause for the podcast. <laughs> it's okay. Ooh, um, well, so Take the first time. thing that comes into my mind is, you know, I'm a very structured, disciplined person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm up at a certain time every day. I'm in bed at nine o'clock. I read for 45 minutes to an hour lights out, you know, and so um, having that discipline, and that's just been my nature my whole life. I was raised by a man who was in the military. So, you know, having, knowing what you're going to do the next day, and maybe not at a granular level, but I have my calendar. I know what appointments are coming. I know what my deadlines are so that the night before I'm already thinking about them, but sleeping on them so that I can wake up with confidence. So um, 
I, I also use the Pompadero method a lot. Um, and especially when I um, was going through this accelerator, the whole idea of structuring my day into, you know, 20 minute or even 25 minutes with a five minute break or 50 minutes and a 10 minute break and, and having the discipline to actually walk outside, change my environment um, so that I could come back fresh. Hmm. So as you know, um, and as we all know, who are working from home, right, you probably have a little tiny space in your house that you crammed into because you're avoiding the garbage man who's picking things up and those noises and maybe the kids or the pets and, um, and, and you're cramped in this space that isn't necessarily inspiring, no, um, not at trying all. to get work done. Right. Um, and if you don't, stop, at least if I don't stop, if I don't force myself to stop, I work so hard that I run out of enthusiasm for what I'm trying to accomplish. And then I don't want to finish it or I can't finish it because I don't have the spark anymore. So by setting that silly timer and it says, oh, you know, your 50 minutes are up and going for a 10 minutes at the hotel when we were under self-isolation or actually, you know, there was a huge hotel, only 30 of us in the hotel. I think I was the only person on the fifth floor. Oh, wow. And I would stop at 10 minutes to the hour and I would walk from one end of the hotel on my floor to the other, down five flights of stairs, up five flights of stairs, back to my room, get my glass of water, and then I could sit down again and pick up the next meeting. Wow. Just that discipline was enough. Like, and, and, and staying rigid with it. But, um, you know, when you're huffing and puffing out of shape, walking upstairs, you're like not thinking, <laughs> oh, I need to fix that on that document. Yeah. Or it's like, I just need to get to the top. And then the answers or the blockages aren't there as much. And I'm also really disciplined about stopping at a specific time. You know, my dad used to call it Miller time. You remember those commercials? Oh yeah, it's Miller time. You know, exactly. it's Miller time, and <laughs> and so for me, that's four o'clock, and oh, okay. I go, you know, I run on my treadmill, um, and then I will eat or not um, pick things back up. Uh, but again, that discipline, um, and and I think I'm forcing myself to be more physically active because the whole universe is saying, Oh, just stay in, you know, it's like that more of that permission. I saw this cute clip of a, a mayor in Italy who was talking to some youths who were playing ping pong in a city park. And he's like, what are you doing? You crazy people go home and play on your playstations. You should be on video games, not playing ping pong. It's not safe. And that's, I mean, I have kids 11 or 12 and 13. That's mm -hmm. all the permission they need yeah. to be on their devices. Um, the other thing I'm doing to stay sane. Am I talking too much? No, no, no. Is, uh, <laughs> no, you can talk as much as you want. Uh, I'm not watching the news ah, at all during the day. Uh, and I've completely dropped off of all social media. Okay. Uh, except for caregiven, you know, caregiven continues to send out messages and whatnot. But um, I even had a family member call me like, you're not on Facebook anymore. Why not? And I'm like, well, why not? Let me see. Let me because, count the ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think self-preservation comes before. I, and that's a horrible thing to say. And, and don't take it in the, you know, oh, I don't, like, I don't think so. I think you, in order to help others, you have to help yourself. I mean, if you're a mess, how are you exactly. going to be able to step up and be part of a community that's going to try to help others? I mean, especially what you're doing. 
it is one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing, to try to sort out. I mean, just giving care to someone that you love that's sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, the daily <laughs> challenge of that is... Well, imagine uh, not being able to give care to someone yeah. you love who's sick because yeah. you're, they're separated from them. And, and those are the calls um, that I'm getting, the people reaching out to me now that I would say... I've been through a lot of hard things trying to build this company. The hardest thing is to not have the product to say here. Yeah. It's not going to give you the answers, but right. it, um, it's also not going to make you worse off. Yeah. Um, and so that I keep banging my head. Like if I had done this or done that, would this product be in the hands of the people who need it? Um, and that's just not, I can't answer that. Um, I think that, uh, I think that conversations like this, um, maybe starting a dialogue on how to have conversations yeah. again yeah, with yeah, your yeah. loved ones that yeah. go beyond what did you do today? <laughs> I think that's going to be inspirational um, for the next generation and even this generation where, um, you know, this is a perfect time to get on a video call or just start recording that conversation with mom, dad, grandma, auntie Sue about, you know, remember that 4th of July when, or isn't it funny that we always lose an Easter egg until it starts stinking, (laughs) whatever it is. Oh yeah. Um, We used to do that all the time as kids. I mean, we would lose them. I mean, it's just nutty, but yeah, that's what my grandmother used to do all the time. She'd hide all these eggs and then She'd have to make sure she counted them all, and then she'd always forget how many. <laughs> and then inevitably a month later, yeah, it smelled really bad. And, oh, it was the Easter egg, so, or it was yeah. the, you know, the egg. So. And see right there, that smile, yeah. that recollection. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, one of my father's favorite books was a book called How Green Was My Valley. Hmm. And it is one of the most beautifully written books. Um, and, and one of the main themes is men like my father don't lie or die as they are as alive in memory as they were in life. And if you can have a chuckle and think of, you know, your grandma placing these eggs around, you know, and um, that memory makes she's alive. Um, And that's what we're trying to get at. You know, there's a lot of reverse psychology in my product where we back people into difficult conversations. You know, if you don't want to ask somebody a hard question, my mom, she does not want to talk about her funeral. Uh, she expects a funeral. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to help us plan it or give us any insights. But ooh, if you ask her about funerals she's been to, ah, you learn a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, tricky, you, tricky. You have to be tricky. No, I agree. You know? I agree. And and, it, and it, so you know, how can you get at the heart of things and still have a happy, funny? Uh, a conversation that's meaningful. How do you have meaningful conversations that uh, people are paying attention to in this day and age? We're so distracted. Um, Caregiven also, we encourage the recording of conversations yeah. because people hear what they want to hear, not not what's being said. Yeah. And so how do you, how can we use technology right. to make sure that what is being said at least is, recognize yeah you may not like it no but, no and so and 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 those are the little things that really matter when they matter when you're not trying to remember where grandma put the easter egg but you were damn sure she said no to life support and now you have to make the decision on life support well it 
if you have her on a, a video or an audio call saying, you know, these are my wishes and why, then you're not making decisions for her. You're honoring her decisions for herself. Um, and that, again, is sort of our sneaky way of getting at the, the heart of the matter, the things that break us as caregivers and as loved ones when we love somebody are having, not knowing and having to take an action. Um, and so caregiving really encourages people, and I think we all do, to get the answers to the questions that we know we're going to have to answer. Yeah, true enough. True enough. Um, and and I think I think the, the interesting thing about you know having this discussion about what it's like uh, to be a caregiver and trying to uh, you know p- put the tools and to to make it a little easier and to have those conversations so that you don't have to feel bad about the decision you're trying to make. Cause sometimes if you don't know what someone wants, you're kind of like, I'm just going to kind of make my best guess. And I hope, I hope they're happy about it, you know? Um, and so it is a really, really good thing you're trying to do. And I think the conversation's going to happen more and more. I really think we're going to see more and more of that. So um, I think too, where you started this was, um, you know, what kind of discipline do I have to go about my day? Um, And I think that's true for caregivers as well, is we often, when we step into this role, we, we put aside our own needs. Um, We're trying, it's not like we lose anything in our lives when we take on caregiving responsibilities. It's just more, just more Um, for sure. And, and the first thing to go is the structure that you need to operate at your best, the permission to take the 10 minutes out of an hour to change your scenery um, so that you remain fresh. Uh, and and I think it's vital. Um, I think that uh, all of the, you know, the work that's been done on mindfulness apps and 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 putting systems in place where you remember that you're a a human being and you need to function in a certain way to not set that aside, to crank out a document or be in a meeting, all of those wonderful resources um, need to be put in place and become part of our every day. So that when we are forced into these odd situations like caregiving or, you know, self quarantine or locked in a house with feral children, (laughs) If you remain true to those disciplines, then um, you stay healthier and saner. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think it's the extreme when you're a caregiver because you feel guilty that you're not spending all the time you can or reading all the literature or going to all the appointments or like, oh, you go to 95% of them, but you're like sick or have to do Mm -hmm. something and the guilt gets can get pretty heavy. Um, And I think it's similar to a startup when you're an entrepreneur trying to like build this thing and you're like, I got, can't, I got, can't work hard enough. Like there's so much to do, you know? Yeah. Um, I got to get on the next call. I need to sell this. I need to sell that. Um, Oh, what did I say here? I think that um, I am a little bit better prepared for the role of entrepreneur because of my um, experience as a fundraiser, knowing that what really truly matters is relationships right. and that um, you can try to kick the can down the street as far um, by yourself. But if you had a relationship and someone who was helping you and partnering with you and watching your progress and supporting you um, before you needed them, 
that's the most important thing. Um, going into this program, you know, there's a company in our cohort that fully expects to step out of these 100 days with, you know, a signed deal. And I said, oh, really? Like, you know, when did you start fundraising? Well, I'm starting now. And I laughed and I'm like, you're six months before you can even <laughs> ask if you, you know, oh, yeah. can even start the conversation oh, yeah. about the specific deal. Um, and I think that, um because I know how people work and, and, and that regardless of whether you're buying something, giving something, you're, the human element is so, so, so important. Um, and I'm able to uh, think about my startup in very human terms, right? So even going through this program, it's not who's the lecture today and what's the topic. It's, okay, what am I going to learn and from whom? And I always write down something that they say that is surprising, anecdotal. And when I write a thank you note, I'm like, this really resonated with me, or I really enjoyed when you hmm. use this experience. We had a session where the guy wow. was bald and everything, every introduction was, you know, oh, how long have you had the hair? And it was just so cute. And it was on cybersecurity. Right? Oh, wow. Like, but the fact that, you know, he was so glib about it. Um, and everybody was joking yeah. about it that that changed the whole dynamic and and so sharing with them that you, you know like i learned something about you as a person as well as the fact that oh boy you know you could help me in my own cybersecurity needs or open a door to somebody um you have to connect on that human level first yeah so oh i like i like the idea of you know writing down something that i learned from i mean any speaker or the one thing or so 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 you write thank you notes to people then. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so absolutely. I mean, ha handwritten ones or? I, okay. So when I went to Iowa, uh -huh. my mom gave me a stack of cards. <laughs> I may be old school. I'm 46. But when I got something in the mail, I was Queen B. You know, this is before <laughs> direct mailers. But so, you know. I send cards to my own kids. Oh. So they have, to, I know, in my own house, wow. like they have to go to the mailbox Aww. and they're like, what's this? That's How sweet. do I open an envelope? <laughs> um, I, I think that um, the digital world um, makes so many things easier, but yeah. it's not tactile. Yeah. And the world is a tactile place. Oh, true. Getting, getting something in the mail that you have to open and then recycle, it takes more effort than delete. And um, I, I, I'll i never stop doing it. Anybody who gives me um, or even comes to a session to speak with several of us, half hour, it can take five minutes of my time yeah. to write them a thank you note. They won't forget me. Oh, no. Oh, that's... It, the That's biggest for sure. pain in this day and age is nobody has a mailing address anymore. Yeah. So I, out of 20 thank you notes I might write in a week, I would say five. I write the note and then I can't find their stupid address. So I have to photograph the thank you note and email it to them. <laughs> Love that. You seriously do that? I seriously do that. <laughs> Ah, oh, that's my new favorite thing. That's my new favorite thing. That's so interesting that the, um, so do you, so, I mean, it's curious because, you know, there's a lot of times where people are trying to stand out in the crowd, right? I mean, entrepreneur, storyteller, a lot of noise out there. And one of the things you've chosen is, you know, 
thank you cards, which is is kind of a neat neat little thing. So, do, is no, I don't do it to stand out in a crowd. Oh, okay, okay. Um, no, uh, well, you know, we've met in person. Yeah. I have. Um, I try to um, exhibit uh, the the values of my company, which mm-hmm. are to be as human as hu- you know, be human in every interaction to touch right. lives. Um, so I'm not doing it as a way of standing out. I'm doing it as a way of saying thank you. I mean. The answers in the question, thank you note, isn't yeah. about you remembering me per se. I know I said that, right. but really, I just want to recognize that time is finite mm-hmm. and limited and precious. And if somebody gave their time and I benefited from it, that's extremely meaningful to me. Mm. Um, I, I also know that being a female founder in death tech, as I was recently, I don't know if death, you saw that. Death oh, tech? Yeah. Oh. Um, that's a different, really? I stand out on, on my own. Yeah. Man, do we have that's, to call it that? Oh. Well, okay. So listen, I actually don't object to it. And oh. Here's why. So I was profiled by the international publication, Artificial Intelligence in Medicine magazine. They're based in London. They picked me as one of six women internationally of women in AI. Hmm. And, and they, they called me, you know, a leader in death tech or whatever it is. And, and it's shocking. And I've gotten a lot of flack for it, but everybody's read the article. (laughs) That's true. It's a good story. That's Um, true. That's true. And then my co-founder, my technical co-founder, she's like, yeah, we were into death tech before it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) You're like death metal. You're like the, exactly. You're like the, uh, the uh what's it called yeah the, the death metal band cover band or something <laughs> <laughs> what i don't want to be is oh no there's the death tech world yeah come depress us yeah it's actually um and, and we've touched on this too you know the entrepreneurial journey is so hard and it's exhausting mm-hmm. um even like and the best of times, but when you're dealing with a topic that a nobody wants to talk about, b nobody wants to fund, um, and c you know every minute of every day, I'm telling my father's story, I'm mm-hmm. telling my story, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and while that serves me because it keeps him very much alive, it is also not. You know, it's not like I'm coming up with a new flavor of ice cream, right? It's <laughs> it's hard and it's heavy. Yeah. And and as a, a founder, I actually had to go through a very, uh, almost a, a breakup with my own company in the sense that I was putting too much of me into the company and Candace was caregiven, not caregiven was caregiven. Right. Um, right, and right. I knew that there was this point in time that this company needed to stand on its own. Um, and it couldn't be my story. It had right. to be a, a broader story. Right. And and at that point, I remember being a wreck forever. I'm like, if if caregiven fails, it's my father's death didn't have meaning. And and I'd been living that. And yeah. the reality is, is like, nope, nope, that's so wrong. That's don't a- put that burden on you, and don't put that burden on a company. Yeah. Uh, and that was, I think that was right around the time, and you may have even sparked that oh. sort of metamorphosis after we had our conversations at Founders Network. Right. Um, where, you know, you were encouraging me to think about the story I wanted to tell. 
you have your own story to tell and you protect parts of it and you gift parts of it and you were helping me to understand how to do that for myself and i think i really stepped out of that experience going wow like wow i need to not hinge so much on something that you know one in how many founder stories actually go to fruition yeah. when you start to succeed yeah. uh and and that actually started me on a lovely journey to recognize all the successes that i've done yeah i mean totally i mean i think that's the 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 beauty of peer mentorship through founders network uh, and just the general journey that we're all on i mean i personally feel being a founder is one of the hardest jobs in the world simply because you're trying to create something from nothing and most people don't care to be honest <laughs> i mean i yeah. wish they would and i wish of course ever my company's great and that everyone's successful but you know the odds are the odds you know it's not never going to be any better because innovation things that um, take moving from the status quo to a new paradigm uh, they don't have a very good success rate and the realization that it's not you that failed it's you know the problem or you know you got to work the problem and the problem's the problem and you're not the problem or you're not the total success of it. And that's hard. You know, again, I've <laughs> been at a lot of startups. So, you know, I can say all this I want, but I still feel it because a certain part of your life is really drawn into it. But I, I like the fact that you've, you know, come to terms with it and, you know, and you're trying to distance yourself. And, and, and even the experience of, you know, caring for your father, losing your father is stands on its own. And, and, and that I think is the, one of the most powerful things to realize. I mean, even in my own journey, you know, even if I, I write this book and no one reads it, or if I do these podcasts and no one listens to them, it's because I, I'm sharing a conversation and sharing some knowledge. And I'm with you. If, if you've gone through something tough, it's almost your duty, my, my words, right, to, to share so that others can be helped. And being of service is a really important thing to me. Um, and um, as it is, as it is for you. And so it's nice that that hopefully I try to do it daily. And I, it sounds like that you do as well, trying to distance yourself from the, the product, the company. It's not, you know, it's not Candace's story. It's everyone's story. And I'm, and you're giving a gift to the world of caregiving. And, and that I think is, a very profound thing that a lot of us need to really take to heart because hard to take to heart. I mean, you know, you spend all these countless hours trying to make something successful and, you know, if it fails, it's personal. Yeah. So, um, but where I've landed with that and it may just be the nature of the solution is that this conversation being featured in a magazine, I'm already advancing the conversation that ultimately will result in an improvement in mm. how we care for people at the end of life. True. Um, True the fact that when I was going through sort of my core values of this company a couple of years ago, they said, well, you know, what is the benchmark for success? And I said that while I don't foresee caregiving being the catalyst, I think that 
caregiving will be one of the leading contributors uh, attributed to changing the way we talk about the end of life journey, how we care for people. And if I am contributing to that, and if, if in five years, nobody knows the name caregiving, but you know, they're like, oh yeah, I helped my mom with their advanced care plan. And um, I was really surprised to know that she wanted this. And, you know, and if that was happening in a, in an everyday occurrence, instead of what we get now, it's like, oh, I remember going through that with my mom, blah, blah, blah. Then, then I haven't been successful, but I know I already have, you know, I know that, um, that the conversations that I've had have resonated with enough people that I'm attending a program in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, they learned about me, they saw what I was trying to do, they were impressed with the methodology that I was taking, they, they see the passion I bring to this. So um, I, I mean, I've gotten a lot further than I don't even think I ever write that first blog post that was supposed <laughs> to help me work through my grief. But yeah. um, and it's remembering the why you go into it. And again, it may just be that I have this, you know, it's, this is such a personal story for me. And I think we've always talked about how you have to um, go into a startup, knowing the pain viscerally and being so committed to solving it, that any solution is a win. It may yeah. not be yours, right? but it's a win. Um, and, and I still am, you know, a newbie and I take delight in so many different things. Like, you know, you've been invited to pitch. I've been invited to pitch. <laughs> you know, how exciting is that? I'm like, I didn't even know I applied to yeah. pitch, but I'll pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. But the nose, uh, one of my very first, actually the very first vice president I ever worked um, under was an amazing gentleman. His name was Tony Despino, the University of Portland. My very first day of work, he handed me a book. He said, read this and you'll learn everything you need to know about how to work with me. And, and the book is called Leadership Secrets of Attila the Hun. And I was a history major and I was like, what? I know who he um, is. Uh, yeah, but the the book actually um, was fabulous, and one of the premises was no doesn't mean no. It means I need more information, um, and and I live and breathe that every day. You know, no, they're not going to fund me now. Okay, I need more information. Why don't you fund me? Oh, we don't fund death tech. Good to know. What do you fund? Oh, we're really interested in ag tech. Well, I have a founder friend that I went through a program or somebody from the founders network that sounds like your ideal person. And then again, I'm contributing to the ecosystem. Um, and though they said no to me, I did uh, earn some respect by giving them a good lead and I helped somebody else who didn't have that lead. And so that's a major win for me, even though it was a no. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it good. I mean, this, this being of service, like, again, what, what I try to talk about on this and what I wrote about in the book, Entrepreneur Ethos, which is what the podcast is about, is the, the, this is such a hard job that you really do have to help each other out. I mean, there's no, I, I, I can hardly think of a founder or a company that's a startup that, even if they were competitors that I wouldn't at least try to help in some level. I mean, yeah, clearly not like, Oh, take all my customers, but you know, it's, and, and again, I think that's the reason why, you know, 
you know, great that we met through through Founders Network and like this peer, the peer to peer thing is a very fascinating thing because I think that you can at any level of your career and any level of your life can mentor or be mentored or coach or help train um, people that uh, either a little bit behind you, a little bit ahead of you, because it's just such a, well, one, if it's such a rewarding thing and, and, and two, you know, I learn a lot from these conversations and when, you know, met you and live and in person. And when I just talk with people and interact and kind of figure out where they're coming from and their life journey, and it really doesn't matter what industry they're from, where they are, as long as, you know, they're, they're willing to share, it just gets a huge amount, just get a huge amount from it. So it's, it's, it's great that, that what you're trying to do with caregiving is provide that platform of not only helping people with this hard, challenging time of their lives, but also recording those stories, sharing the the history, the, the real the stuff that sometimes is like lost to time, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame. I mean, like one of the things that I wish that my grandfather, my mom's mom would talk more about was when he was in the Dutch underground during World War II. Mm-hmm. He, he never wanted to talk about it. He, he, I think we may have spent like five or 10 minutes one time talking about it. And, and during that five or 10 minutes, he told me he was at the Battle of Arden. And you're like, the Battle of Arden, that's like the movie A Bridge Too Far. (laughs) And I'm like, you were there? And, you know, he talked a little bit about it, but uh, just can you imagine? Like, you were there. (laughs) So we are at an amazing point in time where you have companies like Ancestry that is now linking DNA Mm -hmm. to um, records. Uh, I, I would love to partner with a company uh, like Ancestry where you're, you're attributing family stories to that body, um, Mm -hmm. whatever that story is. Uh, And it, it doesn't have to be, a battle or, you know, it could just be, I got up every day. I was, uh, you know, I worked at a mill. I took six days, six, six, six days, my entire life. Um, I got a pension. When I retired, I played with trains. (laughs) (laughs) But but you, can you imagine your, you know, um, and so, uh, and it's, it's those things that we don't have that, we miss that contributes to the the depression associated with loss and the complications associated with grief that um, our generation is the first that can say, okay, you know, we're, my children aren't going to have that. My dad yeah. picked certain things for my children. Yeah. He told them why that item was important. I yeah. have it on a video, wow. um, why he wants them to have it. Um, and, and it, you know, so it's no longer a thing to give to the goodwill. It's like, no, my granddad wanted this alligator Titac to go to me because my name's Allison and I'm named after him. Uh, wow. And and so it's a real transactional thing that she can hold yeah. um, and that her children can hold and hear my dad's voice saying why it was important. Um, and that's really one of the greatest 
uses of technology that I can see that will have a lasting implication. And again, I told you I was a history major. Imagine the stories that are going to come out of what did you do when you were self-quarantined or yeah. what was it like, you know, when the world shut down? Um, uh, it, it makes up... Um, it you know brings the world together when you have these shared experiences and 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 it brings the times together when you are spanning generations i i often say that one of the first things i'll do when um, caregiving gets funded is i want to work with like a food network big one and i want to have this competition where you have a, a family a grandma a grandpa whoever the stanchion of the family is making a family recipe mm-hmm. um with their grandchildren or their children and having that passed down and recorded yeah um and then you know you know really tying that in because i would love to make my grandmother's recipe with her telling me what i was doing wrong (laughs) you know i mean imagine the family recipe actually being passed down from the origin yeah 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 no i i I hear you i hear you that's uh that's quite that's quite the thing that um you know a lot of families cherish the there's the the family recipe book and the family bible with all the names of when everyone was (laughs) born you know the sort of the the genealogy back in the day so so and that's the other beautiful thing again with the technology you know you You'll hear me talk about my product, and I'm not trying to sell my product, but so much thought has gone into what do we commonly use technologically in our lives that should be applied to documenting our lives. So my grandmother had all of these photo albums. You know, they were hand-pasted in, hand-scribbles. I had all of those images. I shipped them off um, to a company that's name is escaping me they took them out of the um photo albums they scanned them they restored them they put them back into the photo albums they sent them back to me i have all of the digital digitized versions of them and then i just went through on a shutterfly and i recreated those photo albums and i have the original and my brother and my cousin and her son they have all they have the exact same photo album wow that's really Um, cool and and so then you're you're sharing the history it's not locked with one person um because i've heard too many stories about the family bible who went to the daughter and not the first daughter and she didn't have pretty penmanship and yeah we don't talk yeah (laughs) yeah you don't want your family legacy or your history to be lost to time. And, um, and you know, like what you're doing is certainly will, well, certainly needed. And I'm just really thankful that you spent the time to, uh, tell me a little bit about your journey. It's really fascinating one. I'm looking forward to seeing more about what caregiving is going to be. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad that you're, uh, not self-quarantined anymore. <laughs> you're back. You're back in, at your home with your family yes. during during these trying times. But uh, Candice, uh, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity and giving entrepreneurs like me a chance to feed the ecosystem a little more. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. 
You can also join my email list by visiting thedailymba.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest that you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about in this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.